relationships. So yeah. week one, we talked about marriage. Last week, we had a guest speaker, Adam Starling from Oklahoma, uh, preach on biblical friendship. Wasn't that awesome last week? I love that guy. And uh, this week, we're actually gonna be talking about uh, parenting and how we fight for our kids. Now, anytime you get very specific in a topic uh, like what we're about to do, one of the things we need to remember is that although we're gonna be talking about parenting, uh, really, we're gonna be breaking down a story in the Bible, and anything we say today can be applied to mentoring, can be applied to discipleship, and so if you're not a parent today, don't check out, or maybe your kids are older and gone, don't check out yet, because you might have grandkids one day, and or you might be discipling someone, or, or you might be jumping into the church and getting involved. So one of the things we talked about, Mandy and I talked about with this sermon today, is that we understand there is a broad spectrum of where people are at on parenting journeys. Um, we shared our story last week where uh, when we met, Mandy was a single mom. There are single moms in here, single dads, there are married couples that are trying to have kids um, that can't right now. For whatever reason, you're not able to get pregnant. Um, there are people in here that are in the thick of things with parenting and you've got kids in the home and then some of you, your kids are grown and gone. Um, and, and some of you have kids that might be far from God. So there's a lot of different backgrounds today and we understand that approach. But one thing we know is this, we live in a critical time mm -hmm. and we've got to get it right with the next generation. And if, even if we don't have kids, we're gonna mentor because this is the family of God and we're gonna all invest because it takes a tribe. Absolutely, and just right at the beginning of this, we want to say that we are yes. not coming to you as experts at all. Um, actually, yeah, we have not written the book. That would be my father-in-law. He is an actual expert on parenting. He like actually wrote a book on he parenting. He actually wrote a book. Called um, A Matter of Time. Pick it up if you don't like our sermon. It'll, he'll fix everything <laughs> we say. He'll just, yeah, he'll make it all better. Um, we're not experts, but we can say we're in this with you and we're parenting right now. And um, so, and then there's just basic principles in the word of God that we're gonna talk about today that hopefully will bless you. We believe that strong families and strong churches are essential in every society. And so we're not gonna stop fighting for our families, fighting for our children. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today, just fighting for our children. Yes, and so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus is chapter two, uh, that's where we're gonna be mostly today in a, in a moment, but I always like to set up biblical context to kinda let you know where we're at in the story of God in the Bible uh, with this passage. So to kind of set this up, um, Exodus is the second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, and toward the end of Genesis, uh, we see the story of Jacob, and then he has his sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel, but he also has this son named Joseph. And the Bible tells us that in this amazing story that Joseph has a dream from God when he's young, and the dream, it really was, a, I don't have time to go into the story, but it's an amazing dream about how he would rise up into the ranks and people would bow down to him, and, and it didn't look like that was gonna happen. But through a series of events, his brothers selling him into slavery and someone falsely accusing him, and all these ups and downs, Joseph finds himself as second in command in all of Egypt, only second to Pharaoh. And so this is a great time for the Hebrew people, for, the, for Israel, because now second command in all of Egypt is one of their own. But the beginning of Exodus starts with telling us that after generations, uh, Israel multiplied at extreme amounts, and now there's this large nation, the people of God, Israel, within another nation, Egypt. And so now it's growing, and the Bible tells us that Pharaoh, a new Pharaoh, had risen who did not remember Joseph, 
So this new Pharaoh did not have any fondness in his heart toward the people of God, and all he sees is this growing nation within their nation as a threat. And so through a series of events, he starts with a little bit smaller plan to stop the Jewish people from um, getting pregnant and giving birth, and then that grows and grows to the beginning of this story. We see a decree that went into all of the land of Egypt that every single male Hebrew baby that was born would be thrown into the Nile. And so that is the backdrop of this story, but there's an amazing story in this passage that teaches us a lot about parenting. Yes. And I'm still going. You're okay, still so. going. Yes, you are right. <laughs> you are. I feel like a news anchor. You're right, Bob. <laughs> I don't even. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, 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 yes. <laughs> Your eyes got biggest sausage. Oh not, not me yet. Still you, buddy. Okay, so. <laughs> What we see here is Moses' mom, uh, Jochebed, and this amazing story. We know this story well. If you haven't read it, you've probably seen the Prince of Egypt. She builds a basket, and she sends Moses into the basket, and Moses is raised in Pharaoh's home because of his daughter. But a few things we learn, and again, the title of our message today is Fighting for Our Kids, Fighting for Your Kids, and, and here's kind of the backdrop of our points. How do we fight for our kids how do we fight for the next generation? How do we fight for our grandkids, for other people's kids within the family of God? And number one is this, we fight with perception. Mm -hmm. We fight with perception. It's very important, I want you to think about that, what perception means um, as I read Exodus 2.2. The woman, Jochebed, Moses' mother, became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. She saw that he was a special baby. Even the New Testament in the book of Acts references this, and Acts 7.20 tells us that Moses, even as a baby, was no ordinary child. So, I mean, all of us, when our baby is born, we're all gonna be like, that is, that is no ordinary baby. <laughs> you know, that is a beautiful, special baby. Like, everybody does that. Nobody's like, you know, I don't really want that one. Can I, I, if I have the receipt, can I give it back? Like, we, we all think our babies are beautiful. That, that's something special. So for the Bible to record this, this is what this means. It goes beyond the natural motherly love, the natural motherly emotion. This goes beyond that because the Bible's telling us that she perceived something deeper, spiritual, as she looked at her child. What this is telling us is from the first days he was born, she was seeing him as God saw him. And that's a challenge for us too. We fight with perception. We have to fight with the perception how we see our kids is how God sees them. We have to learn how to do that or we're in seasons only going to see our children as, as problems. So uh, Mandy was saying that we have four kids, a 19-year-old daughter, a 17-year-old son, a 13-year-old son, and a nine-year-old daughter. I was just talking to her yesterday. I said, I, I love the season we're in right now. When we have four kids, you always have to use the words right now. Because you never know what's going to happen. You, you know, like, never know. In this season right now, it's, it's awesome. Because I, you know, I always love my kids. But if we're being honest, there's seasons I don't like them. <laughs> Any other parents, you agree with me? All right, people that aren't parents yet are like, can a pastor say that? Everybody that's a parent, you know it's true. And kids, you know it's true too. They love you, but sometimes you just make it really hard to like you. And um, yeah, see, okay, so... That, and there, there are seasons of this, but in those seasons, though, all joking aside, those are the seasons we need to dig deep, yeah. like Moses' mother, and perceive them the way God does, right? Yeah. 
We need to, and in the story, this is what she did, she was perceptive of the danger that her child was in. She looked at the world around her, saw the king's decree, saw the danger around him, perceived it appropriately, and then got a plan to act accordingly. She was perceptive of the hand of God on Moses' life, like I was just talking about. When was the last time you prayed for your children or grandchildren or, or, or the kids within your care or even kids in our own church that maybe not, aren't your own? When was the last time you prayed and said, God, what is it that you have for their lives? How can I be praying? Because the hand of God is on every child's life. Every single child, teenager, young adult has a purpose and destiny on their lives. And we have to have discernment and insight when we look at our child. Discernment has to be something we pray for, has to be something we have. Uh, we were just at a conference not too long ago and the pastor said, if you're a parent or a leader and you don't have discernment, get someone next to you that does. Yeah. Because we have to see into the physical in a spiritual way. Yeah. We have to have discernment. And this is how we help them create identity, not in the way the world puts identity on them, but the way God has identity for them. And so uh, we have four kids. Our oldest is Avery. Our 17-year-old uh, son is Aiden. Our 13-year-old son is Asher. And our nine-year-old daughter is Aslan. And thinking about all this, Mandy and I kind of want to give you an example. So when we look at our four kids, they're all four very uniquely different. And we see things in them because we pray for them. And what we feel like sometimes is it's what God is wanting for them. And so we'll speak things over them in the direction that God is taking their lives. And we kind of want to show you just a couple examples. Yeah, so as we're talking, be thinking about your own kids because yeah. our goal is to see how God has naturally wired them and then lean into that and parent that way. You know, like how are they naturally wired? Avery is 19. She is deeply compassionate. She has a lot of empathy. We always have joked, like middle school, high school, she, she was very mean to her siblings. But, her, <laughs> but then she was so empathetic to like the person on the side of the road or someone homeless. Yeah. Or I, I, we came home from a conference, the same one that he was just talking about. And they, uh, there was a guy that wrote a book for children dealing with mental health issues. And so I was just casually sharing. She said, what's that? And I said, it's a book um, for kids who are dealing with mental health issues. And she went, she starts bawling. <laughs> but it's just a very cool thing to see how God has naturally wired her. Mm -hmm. She's naturally very empathetic. And so one of the ways we've tried to guide her is we've got her on missions trips because we know that that's just another way that God right. can speak to her through that, through how, the way she's naturally wired. Right. And we have missions trips at our church all through the year to Mexico, to Africa, Haiti, when it, when it opens back up. And, and one of the things that we've even had advice, people pouring into us, mm -hmm. our mentors is saying, if you have a child that's naturally empathetic in their formative years, then one of the best things you can do to solidify what God is doing in their hearts yeah. is to get them out of their world where things can revolve around them and into another world, like a missions trip, where you have to give out and pour into other people right. and watch the sparks turn into a flame of what God has called them to do. And, and again, the missions trips are where people there are deeply helped, but at the same time, the people who go on the trips are deeply moved by God and things are solidified. Aiden is our 17-year-old son, and he is um, deeply passionate and deeply goal-oriented. And Aiden, I mean, you'll know if Aiden's passionate about something because he is blazing a trail yes. and he is going to get it done. But if he's not passionate about it, then we're having to push him to get things done. 
Um, I, we mentioned, he preached with me um, at the beginning of January in our series, Same God, and we mentioned in that message that he works at Discount Tire and loves it, like loves it. And he is so passionate. They have this thing called, I don't even know what it is. They have this thing called Power Bay, <laughs> where it's like, that's where the, I guess you have to work fast or something. And he'll come home after working like eight or nine hours. And he'll come home on a Saturday and be like, Dad, on a Saturday, and be like, Dad, uh, um, and, you know, I was in Power Bay today. And I think we set some like new records on how fast we were changing tires. And I'm like, how are you passionate about changing tires? I mean, but I mean, you would think that he was just as, he is just as passionate about that that he is writing a sermon or preaching and, and because he's deeply passionate. And so we've guided him in that direction, even with the it's call true. of God on his life. It's the worst. Like we'll be trying to go to sleep and he's pacing at the foot of our bed. We're like in about, our bed, like covers up. Like, he's down here, like just marching back and forth, talking about discount tire. And I'm like, Aiden, Aiden, I don't care about lug nuts and tires and power bay. Go to bed, go to bed. He's also deeply passionate about student ministry. Yes. Yeah, and I'm telling you, it's all he talks about yes. with Discount Tire. He even <laughs> had, he had his grandparents this morning make for their student leadership homemade cinnamon rolls, biscuits and gravy, and they, I'm telling you. And they, she did. They, and they did, he said, you in? That's what he said to them, are you guys in? And they're like, yeah, okay. Because and, grandparents don't say no. So grandparents, you need to listen to this message too. For sure, deeply passionate. Asher is very perceptive, he's creative. Asher's one of those people, if you don't want to laugh at something, something weird's happening, or like something funny during church, don't look at Asher. I can't, he's on keyboard today, I'm like, I'm not looking at Asher. If someone hit a bad note, or if something happened, not looking at Asher, because Asher, nothing goes by Asher. He catches everything, every behavior, that's just how Asher is. But. Yeah, so he, an example, we'll move quickly, but an example of this was Asher played um, football, Yaffle, all growing up, and this was supposed to be, I guess, his last year playing Yaffle. I am big into football. I want my kids in sports, the discipline. I, I want them in there because I think it just teaches kids so much. And I, I just, I love going to the games. I played football my whole life, but I very specifically felt God um, speak to me this last summer that this year was extremely critical for Asher and that God was working on his life to show Asher and solidify what he was calling him to do for his life. And football in this season was taking him out of being on the worship team at youth because of rehearsal times. And I just really specifically felt God say, it's time for football to end and it's time, God was saying, for me to take him on the journey I wanna take him on. And so we, we made that decision, it was tough. I knew it was God, because he's all about football. I yeah, was like, it was I, tough. I already had his pads, I had everything ready, no. I cried, I hung up his pads and I was like, <laughs> you know, but it is what it is. Uh, our last child, Aslan, she's nine, she's very administrative, organized. She runs our family and she'll run yours too if yes. you want her to. We're, we have a 19-year-old, 17-year-old, and 13-year-old. When we leave the house, we go, Aslan, make sure everybody cleans up their mess. Yeah. Make sure the oven's off after you guys cook Totino's pizza rolls. Make sure all the, and she goes, I will. And we trust her. Yeah. She's like, Mom, we're out of milk and eggs. Okay. Like, <laughs> she, I, she just, she just yeah, knows it's things. it's crazy. But she's very, very passionate about it, and so we try to lean into yeah. that and just guide them in the way they're naturally wired. You have to lead with perception mm -hmm. and fight, with, fight for your kids with perception. The next thing is you fight with fear, to fearlessly protect. To fearlessly protect. Now our job as parents is to protect our kids. Part of our job is to make sure that they're protected and that we're doing our job to keep them safe not just from um, you know, normal, like everyday dangers, but spiritually protect them. But it's so easy for us to 
parent out of fear. Mm. You know, constantly like, oh, the world has just gone mad, and it has. And it's easy for us to be so fearful. But I love in the book of Hebrews, there's a list in Hebrews chapter 11 of all these people full of faith. It's called the Hall of Faith, and it's all these men and women of God. They, they faced something incredibly challenging, but yet they had faith. And in this hall of faith is Moses' parents. Not just Moses, but his parents. Let's look at Hebrews eleven twenty three. By faith, Moses, after his birth, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful and divinely favored child, like what he was talking about, and they were not afraid of the king's decree. Why? Why were they not afraid? because they saw he was divinely favored, because they understood we're in partnership with God. And if his hand is on my kid, I'm not gonna parent out of fear. I'm going to be fearless and have faith because I'm partnering with God. I know that we we talk a lot about uh, the pandemic and we're raising pandemic children, pandemic babies, and all the things they face, but I think we've got a room full of pandemic parents. Yeah where the pandemic, what did it do? It expedited some things for us that we were not ready for. Things with morality, sexuality, suicide rates have gone through the roof, mental health battles, things that our children, we thought it was gonna be more of a slow drift and maybe in 10 or 20 years we would have to deal with this. No, here it is, it's here and it's now. And all of a sudden, pandemic parents are saying, whoa, wait a second. And it's so easy to be afraid of culture, afraid of what the enemy is trying to do. Still kill and destroy our kids. Yes. We know that and we are aware, but we cannot parent out of fear. Right. We have to parent towards something, not away from something. I'm parenting with a goal in mind. I have faith for my kids. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. So good. Have yeah, faith for your children. If you're not clapping at that, I don't know what you're gonna clap at. That was, that was good. We don't care. That wasn't in the notes, babe. That was really good. I like that Praise one. the Lord. First John 4, 4 says this, the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Are you afraid of the spirit of the world, the spirit of the age? It feels like it's overwhelming us. You do not have to live in fear. Aware, right. eyes wide open, but we parent with faith, understanding we're partnering with God. We went to a conference, we keep talking about conferences, like we travel, it's the same conference we're talking about, we're not traveling. It was good, I guess, yeah. We we got a lot out of it. But last month we had Charlie Hughes speak to Gen Z, it was actually this month, the beginning of this month. Yeah, it was. Good Lord. And he spoke to, to Gen Z on Rally Z night at our conference, and he's 22 years old, an amazing young man, and he got to hang out with our son, Aiden, who also feels this call to ministry, so it was just this cool thing. Well, a week later at this conference I'm talking about, um, I'm at a luncheon with a group of pastor's wife, and Charlie's mom is sitting next to me. And I mean, you get a pa- bunch of pastors together, the conversation got real, real quick. And we are talking about Culture, we're talking about the attack of the enemy on the next generation. We're talking about morality, sexuality. I mean, it got real. Mm -hmm. And I found myself saying something. I said, my heart breaks for my son and your son having to be in ministry and having to deal with these issues that are gonna be so challenging, things that maybe we hadn't had to deal with because of how quickly things are shifting and moving and Mm -hmm. getting worse and worse. I like, my heart breaks for them. And Lisa Hughes corrected me. And she said, oh no. She said, I'm not afraid. These guys were built for this. 
She said, it is their time. Mm -hmm. And God has built them to face whatever is going on in culture. It is their time. It is for such a time as this that they are made. She said, I'm not afraid. And I was like, I stand corrected. And I think our whole mindset should stand corrected. Yes, there are a lot of bad things going on in the world. But I choose to not lead and parent in fear, but in faith. How do you protect your children? What do you need to do? Well, the first thing you need to do is get them in the right environment. I cannot, I cannot manufacture my kids' um, relationship with the Lord. I cannot force them to fall in love with Jesus. I want to force them. I can't do it. The only thing I can control is the environment I get them in. And that's why I am deeply committed, not just because we're pastors. I have always been deeply committed to right. getting my kids at the house of God every single Sunday. You're like, whoa, that's religion. No, it's wisdom. It it's wisdom to get your kids in the house of God. Why? Because there is an atmosphere of worship. The presence of God is here. The word of God that never returns void is here. And so I'm talking about this old school mentality. I mean, can we do that? Can we take this old school, like the grit that says, I'm going to be committed to something? And the very thing that that raised me, some of you are turning your back on the thing that got you to where you are today. You are here today because someone, a lot of you, someone got you here. They forced you to come to church and know you gotta get in the right environment. And you're saying, oh, it's not important. It absolutely is. Get your kids in this atmosphere, in this community, and have old school grit and determination to be committed to the house of God. I believe it's important. It's something I'm not willing to let go of. Another environment would be summer camp, summer bash. We get our kids to summer camp. You're like, oh, they don't really like it. Who cares? Get them there. They need it. They need that atmosphere. They need to be um, cut off from the rest of the world for a week and tune their ears to the Spirit of God. They need to come on Tuesday night to our youth ministry. If you don't know about youth ministry, I'm telling you every single Tuesday night. It is an incredible ministry where we are training leaders. Your student will be taught how to lead and to listen to the voice of God. So get them in the right environment. I saw a meme the other day that said the book we really needed was what to expect 17 years after you were expecting, right? Like the the seven, that's the book we really needed. It's not like the the midnight feedings and all of that, not that big of a deal. It's the 17 year olds, the 16 year olds, that's the book we need. And a lot of us don't know how to handle it, so we have to lean on the community, the body of Christ. And we have such an amazing church that will stand alongside you and help you. So get your kids to student ministry. Plug for student ministry, it's amazing. The next one is this, pay attention to who and what is influencing them. We know that 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, do not be deceived, bad company, corrupts good morals. Who has their ear? And we've talked a lot about mentors in our kids' lives because there are seasons where your kids don't wanna listen to you. No, they don't wanna listen to us at all in certain (laughs) seasons. And you know, I I remember thinking, I was a youth pastor for all these years, I'm the teenager guru, not with my teenagers. Yeah. You know, and because every, every kid needs a mentor outside of their parents. They need their parent, and then they need someone outside. But when that someone comes in, just because they have a sign that says Christian does not mean 
They're going to be instructing your yes. kids the way you would like them to be instructed. We need to investigate just peer relationships at school. When someone says, when your kid says they developed a friendship or they're liking a boy or liking a girl, I mean, that needs to be like FBI level investigation <laughs> because they're gonna be spending a whole lot more time with that person than they are with you. Yeah. Whoever they're spending the most time with is forming their life. And we've got to have that level of investigation for sure. It's true. You know, I've prayed this prayer so many times because Dustin was in student ministry so many years and invested in a lot of teenagers. And I remember just calling out to God, saying, God, he planted a lot of seeds. I planted a lot of seeds of investment in other people's kids. Will you send, will you send someone to invest in mine? Because that's yeah. the way the body of Christ works, right? Yes. You invest in other people's kids. You pour into them, then Lord, will you do the same for me in Jesus' name? And we pray that so many times. The last way to protect them or another way is to pray for them. This is your best weapon of protection. The best tool you have is to pray for them. I found this list of 31 virtues to pray over your children. And if you wanna take a picture of the screen, um, I think it's incredible, and I have this saved in my phone, and if you ever find yourself kind of in a rut of like, I don't know what to pray for my kids, this is such a great way for you to just take one of these virtues, one of these traits, and pray this over your child every single day. God, I pray for grace. I pray for love to be in their hearts. Honesty, self-control, a love for God, respect, self-esteem, gratitude, a heart for missions, this gets pretty specific. God, give them a heart for the other people in other nations. Mm -hmm. Incredible things to pray over your children and we've seen this really be a powerful tool to use. As we yeah, sometimes kids. something as practical and simple as this can change the entire culture of your home because yeah. praying is not something we do out of religious duty. It changes things in the physical yes. and in the spiritual. Absolutely. And so I think that can really change things. Number three, um, how do we fight for our kids? Number three, we fight with divine strategy. We fight with divine strategy, which means we fight with intentionality. We, we don't live life accidentally and hopefully, like, you know, if, I, if I'm at church enough, yes, we need to do those things. If I'm doing this, if I'm doing that, you know, I, if, or if my kids can, you know, once a month get over there to that small group, whatever it might be, I hope that we just end up in a good place. There has to be way more intentional than that. I love strategy. I'm not the most administrative person. I am not organized, but I love a good strategy and I can sit in str uh, strategic meetings all day long. I love it. I remember when Mandy and I uh, first got married, we mentioned, we told our story in week one. Uh, when I met Mandy, she was a single mom of three kids. You know, and honestly, leading up to it, I was a little nervous, but I was like, I got this. Like, I'm, I'm gonna be good. I got this. And then we got married, and I was like, I don't got this. You know, I, I need help kind of thing. And, and I, don't, I told her one day, I feel like I'm drowning, and I don't know what I'm doing. And, and, and she said, I think sometimes, Dustin, you overcomplicate this, and I'll never forget this conversation. She said, Dustin, at church and in life, you're a leader. You lead people. You can lead hundreds of people. You can lead and, and strategize and, and go into a room full of people and say, this is where we're going and have so many plans. And she said, whenever you switch leadership to parenting, you start to get overwhelmed. She said, what if you just stepped into the home and didn't necessarily think I'm parenting, but I'm just leading. I'm leading my kids. I'm gonna lead them in the same way I would lead people at work or in life. And I think so many of us in our jobs and places of work and school, we are leaders there. And I think that we can actually walk into our homes and leave that leader hat on. And if we don't feel like we're good parents or we didn't have good parenting modeled for us growing up, we don't say, well, I'm a victim of that and I don't know how to parent. Instead say, 
I know how to lead. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna lead my kids the best I can. Thinking about divine strategy, in the story, um, Jochebed built this basket like herself, right? She built this basket and places Moses in it and and pushes the basket off into the river. Well, this word basket in the Old Testament comes from a Hebrew word called tevah, and this Hebrew word is the exact same word used only one other time in the Old Testament for the ark that Noah built. Mm -hmm. They're the exact same word. So then you go back to that story where Noah builds the ark. And we, have you guys ever seen or heard of or been there to the ark encounter where they actually built this life-size ark? I think we have a photo of it we can throw up. So we went to this, it's in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. It's, and so we went to this and you walk through this and it's all the exact dimensions and everything in the Bible from the story of the ark with Noah. And you see the level of strategy and intentionality mm-hmm. that went into this to be the vehicle of salvation and deliverance for God's people. So now we're back again in this story in Exodus. Fast forward. Now Moses is being placed into the same word and ark built with strategy, knowing that this baby is divinely favored and his mother pushes him off with this plan. And now again, this ark is housing God's method of deliverance for God's people. It was all based off of strategy and nothing out of lack of intentionality. And it's the same way when we're parenting our kids. We have to construct and plan, and as we cast off, as one day they're moving out of our homes, we have to understand that what's in this thing we're building is a precious human being that has been entrusted to me, and we're gonna have strategy and intentionality as as we build. So, how do we build a strategy? This, This isn't anything, again, we're not coming to you as experts. These are a few things that came out of our minds of some things that we've done, seen, and then also that have been taught to us from other godly parents. The first one is how, we, how do we build a strategy for our home? Create family values. I guarantee you, where you work has some kind of value system. There's something, there's some placard on the wall, there's some kind of core values, this is what we believe, this is how we behave, right? And think about how many families, especially godly families, that have no backdrop of values and listed anything or something written or this is who we are as a home. I think it's extremely important. They can be simple, but just communicating this is what we value. We value the house of God. We value these things, whatever it might be for you guys. The next one is goals and resolutions for the year. This is honestly the first year that we've ever done this with extreme intentionality um, this last year. We got our family, all six of us, Mandy and I and our four kids, we all sat at our dining room table and we came up with four or five subjects that we wanted to, each of us, to create resolutions and goals for for 2023 revolving around that subject, like education or generosity or health. Um, with like exercise, things like that. So we all had these goals and resolutions and everyone had to keep going around the circle as we went through these subjects and they had to say out loud what their goal and resolution was so we can hold each other accountable through the whole year. And I, I honestly think so far it's working. Another thing is you can come up with a mission statement. It doesn't have to be something that you take two years to make or two months to make or have this big dramatic meeting where you have to, it can be something where you and your spouse or just you, if you're a single parent, walk in and say, this is our mission. It can be something simple like this, to love God's house, to love his word, and to love his ways. And why is that important? Because if that's your mission, that's your bottom line as a family. So when your kids kinda get into middle school and high school, like, I don't wanna go to church, you can't make me. You go, yeah, I can. 
Get up, you're going, why? Because our mission as a family, our mission statement is we love God's house, we love his word, and we love his ways. That's why. Mm -hmm. Well, I wanna go over to these people's house. No, because it's against God's ways and it's against his word to act in that way, to do these things or whatever it might be. I'm gonna keep going. Um, the house of God, like we were already talking about, has to be a priority. Generosity, make generosity a priority. Talk to your kids about your own generosity to the house of God, to the church. Mm -hmm. We cannot raise kids thinking that we are only vessels to be poured into. We have to show our kids that we are generous with what God's given us, right? And then also we have to show them what godly kindness and godly love looks like um, outside of our homes and in the world. Um, I, I wanna quickly hit this before I turn it back over to Mandy for point uh, for our last point. But I know a lot of people in here, a lot. In our first service, um, far, far less people in our first service, there was probably close to a, 50 to 75 hands that went up when I asked this question. But I know there are many people in the room that have children, whether middle school, high school, or even young adults or grown adults that do not know God right now. They've walked away from God. And it is um, at the forefront of your mind. It's front and center. It's all consuming. We've been there. And it's something that is heavy. And I wanna talk really quickly. I'm just literally just gonna read them. Six things to remember while fighting for a rebellious child. Okay, six things to remember when fighting for a rebellious child. Number one, we've gotta remember this. The best parent in the universe has rebellious children. God. God has rebellious children. We are, have all been rebellious, and he's the perfect parent. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes we just have to understand, although my child is, re is, is in rebellion right now, maybe I could have done things better, but we also can't assume all of the blame. Number two, we cannot manufacture our child's salvation. Mandy already hit on this. Um, I have a tendency to wanna control outcomes like this, and God very specifically spoke to me one time and said, stop trying to manufacture their salvation, only I can do that, right? Mm -hmm. Which leads into number three, also which Mandy hit on, but I wanna say it like this. We own, as parents and guardians, we own environment. God owns enlightenment. Again, environments are so important. We put our kids into the right environments, keep them out of the wrong ones, God brings enlightenment, mm -hmm. salvation to our hearts and in our minds. Number four, be firm and affirming. Be firm and affirming. I've, I've seen people go through two, three, four years of it's just an all-out war for their child, and they get to this point where they just go, I basically, I, I give up. I'm just gonna put it into God's hands. And what they're doing is they're trying to spiritualize giving up. We can't just give up and say, well, I'm putting it into God's hands now. Your child is in God's hands, but God still says, parent them. Yeah. Especially if they're in the home. There's no such thing as a 16-year-old having their own phone. There's no such thing as a 16-year-old having rights. They can have phones. Yeah, their you, own phone. They're I just mean, like, yours because you pay for it. Yeah, yeah, it. you pay for saying. it. Thank you for correcting me. Everybody went. <laughs> I thought Our your kids have phones. Yes, they do. They do have phones. <laughs> they, they don't control their phone. Like when they go, this is my phone. Like, no, it's not. That's my phone and you're borrowing it. And I can go through it whenever I want. And you should, you should. The kids are like, not right now. Yeah. Maybe not right now. Never know what you'll find. But, I, but I'll, I'll say this though, be firm. Mm -hmm. Even if they're away from God and you feel like the firmness is pushing them further, be firm, but at the same time, be affirming. Speak to them, speak into them what God sees in them. Number five, keep praying, never stop praying, never stop praying. Yes. And number six, prepare your heart for the homecoming. 
Prepare your heart for the homecoming. What does the homecoming mean? Referring to the prodigal son, the story Jesus told about the picture of someone walking away from God, a child walking away from God. What does the father do in the story? The whole time his child is gone in rebellion and squandering um, the, the inheritance and in rebellion, the posture of the, of the father at home is simply this. He's standing on the porch looking into the horizon and he's already prepared his heart. What does that mean? He's prepared his heart to not have a list of I told you so's, to not have a list of all the things they've done while they were gone, to put guilt over them. Preparing our hearts for the homecoming is saying when my child comes home, there's only one thing that's gonna happen, and that's a party. There's gonna be grace and mercy, and I'm gonna run and meet my child when they're on that horizon and say, welcome home. While they're gone, work through the anger. While they're gone, work through the resentment so when they come home, you can look like the father in the story of the prodigal son. It's beautiful. Amen. The last one is to fight to release them for God's purpose. Fight to release them for God's purpose. We all have plans for our kids. I mean, parents, we're the worst about this. We have the, the plans for our kids. I want them to be this athlete, or they're gonna take over the family business, or I want them to be a doctor or a lawyer. I want them to have what I never had. You hear that a lot. So I'm gonna push and push and push, and this is what I want them to do, and we have all these plans. But I think God is asking you today, are you willing to surrender your plans and hear the voice of God and find out what are his plans for your kids? What does he want for your child? I think that's a big, big thing to surrender if we're, if we're being honest. You know, Jochebed, Moses' mother, she had to release Moses two different times. The first time was when she created the basket and put him in the very dangerous Nile River. This was a big deal and, and it required courage and faith. I'm gonna release my kid. But then we see that she has to release him the second time. And I'm gonna read Exodus 5, but it says this. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister, Moses' sister, asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him, and when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Can you imagine how much harder that was the second time to release him? She had had him in her care, the bond was there. They were close, and she was like, oh, the first time, that was hard, but this second time, knowing I'm releasing my child into the house of Pharaoh, knowing he's gonna be taught all kinds of pagan um, ideology, what a big act of courage for her. But she knew this is what God wants me to do, I have to do this, the releasing, the surrender. And what we find with this is so interesting because Moses, God asked something so important of Moses. He asked him you know, to go to Pharaoh, but what God, he really didn't need Moses to speak that much. We know this, I mean, Moses had a stutter. He had a hard time speaking clearly. So Moses had Aaron for that, but God needed Moses to be educated. Because what do we know about the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch? 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Number, Deuteronomy were all written by, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but written by Moses. So God needed Moses to be highly educated. And I think it's so important for us to understand that if Jochebed would have said, nope, I'm not releasing my son. I'm not gonna surrender my plan. I am not gonna surrender to what you want. Then we wouldn't have the first five books of the Bible. And Moses would have never fulfilled the call of God on his life. And I think the cool thing about this is you see the fruit of the parents of Moses because their three children were mightily used by God. They were faithful. So you have Aaron, who was the first high priest of the Israelites. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. You have Miriam, who is this poet, songwriter, worship leader. And then their third child, Moses, is the deliverer of the people of God, a writer, a strong leader. And that is just proof that God will honor all of the sacrifice and the surrender. It may not always happen in the timing we think, and we can't control everything, but I do love examples of when when you do what God asks you to do and you surrender, he's faithful, and he has a call, something specific for each one of your children, and he wants to do something incredible in all of them. He does. The name Moses, um, there's a Greek and Hebrew translation for the name. The Greek word for Moses is muso, and it means covered and protected. The Hebrew name for Moses is Moshe, and it means hidden until drawn out. Hidden until drawn out. Moses' name in the original languages literally means covered and protected until the time he's drawn out. Until the time of purpose and destiny. And I wanna end today by praying that prayer over our kids. Because we can't control every outcome, even if we get them in the best environments Satan still has a plan. And that's going to be there, but God's plan is greater and it's our job to fight for our kids, to pray for our kids. And that's the prayer we're gonna pray is that our children are protected until it's time for them to be drawn out. Until it's time for God to say, now's the time for you to stand and be a deliverer. Now's the time for calling to be spoken over your life. And we're gonna pray or that over our kids, but I also specifically wanna pray for every parent and guardian, grandparent, people in the room representing someone, a child in your home, in the home, or grown and gone, that is away from God right now. We felt very um, pressed to pray that today, to pray for you today, to stand in the gap as a, as a church family. One of the things that we were taught to pray um, for any of these seasons that you deal with for kids, going back to the story of the prodigal son, It sounds mean almost, but this is one of the greatest prayers we can pray that in a moment where they are right now, God, make something in their life miserable to where the sin is no longer a pleasure, to where there's an emptiness, to where they remember the time, sometime in the past where the seed of the word of God was planted and there was peace and joy and purpose attached to it. I was a youth pastor for nine years And there are a lot of success stories from youth ministry, some people on the stage and on our staff and living life across the country, still living for God, but there are also stories that aren't successes. Teenagers that loved God in a season, had encounters with God, but then walked away. But what's so interesting is all these years later, if you looked at my Facebook or Instagram inbox, it's full of people now in their upper 20s and early to mid 30s that used to be in my youth ministry that have found themselves going through a divorce, 
thoughts of suicide, the loss of a job, lack of direction in life, and they've come to their metaphorical pig pen, like in the story of the prodigal son, and who do they write? When, when they're at their lowest point, they write to the person who represents the last time they had peace and purpose and destiny on their life, a summer camp, a youth service. Let me tell you something, parents. The seeds that you planted are not in void. They, the seeds that you planted are, are seeds of, from the word of God that will take root. That's what we're gonna pray now. Ultimately, people have to make the decision for themselves but salvation and enlightenment is up to God and we're gonna pray that the Holy Spirit pierces their hearts right now. Is that okay? Yeah. If you're in the room today and let's just be bold and no one bowing their heads or closing their eyes, but you're in a desperate situation right now with a child or grandchild that's away from God and you need a miracle right now. Would you raise your hand right now? Look at the hands going up around the room. This is nothing to be embarrassed of. So many of us have been right where you're at right now. We're gonna pray and stand in the gap for your children and grandchildren that right in this moment, wherever they are, that the Holy Spirit would just get a hold of their heart, where if they're writing something, they would have to put down their pen or pencil to, to have to ask the question, what just happened? Maybe they're driving, and a tear will come down their cheek right now, and they won't know why, but it'll be the Holy Spirit convicting their hearts. We're gonna believe right now, we're gonna stand in the gap as your church family and that a miracle can be done. Do you guys believe a miracle can be done right now? Let's pray as a church family. Father, we thank you so much for this moment as a church family. We're not just attending a church service. We are a family right now, and we are standing in the gap for children in the home or grown children outside of the home that are away from you. God, no one loves them more than you do. No one love, wants to give them more grace than you do right now. And God, we come before you right now as the people of God, and we stand in the gap for our sons and our daughters that are away from you. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now would bring conviction through mercy and grace into their lives right now. God, I pray something would happen, a spark in their spirit. God, a memory that would invade their mind as they're driving by somewhere right now or sitting in a room or sitting at work, wherever they are, God, right in this moment, we pray that a memory would come into their mind of their past with peace and purpose, God, that there would be a softness on their hearts right now in this moment toward their parents and grandparents. I pray that this afternoon that phones would ring and text messages would be sent and that today would be the beginning of a new journey of the walk home for the prodigals. We thank you for it, God. And I pray for every parent in here, for every child represented, for parents and guardians in this room. God, we pray for protection over this next generation. They were built for such a time as this. We will not have fear for what's going on in the culture. We will lead with boldness and we will lead with care and love and giving them, showing them purpose, the purpose that you have for their lives. Give us wisdom, Father. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen.